Please take your Bible and turn with me to the Proverbs. Today we are in Proverbs chapter 30, and we'll begin to see a shift in the tone and some of the language of chapter 30, and then once again in chapter 31 as we move to a different section, the last section that wrapped up these further sayings of Solomon uh, wrapped up in chapter 29, and we move now to the sayings of Augur. Um, and uh, we do not know who Augur is. Um, there is a, a way, it's, his name is rooted in the Hebrew word for gathering, and so this may be a title rather than a name, but, but we don't know for sure. Um, but um, these sayings were gathered as part of God's inspired word, and so they speak to us today. So hear these words from Proverbs 30, beginning in verse 1. The sayings of Agur, a son of Jaka, an oracle. This man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel and to Ukol, I am the most ignorant of men. I do not have a man's understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One, who has gone up to heaven and come down, who has gathered up the wind in the hollow of his hands, who has wrapped up the waters in his cloak who has established all the ends of the earth. What is his name and the name of his son? Tell me if you know. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Two things I ask of you, O Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Let us pray. Holy God of covenant and faithful love. There are secret counsels of your will that we could not humanly handle knowing. But there are things that you have revealed to us that so that we can know you and follow your law. As we study this revelation today, we ask that you would open our eyes and our ears to the glorious truths revealed to us in this passage. Show us your glory and majesty. Show us our frailty and humanity. And show us the glory of Jesus as he is revealed to be our redeemer. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So we are beginning, as I said, the 30th chapter of the book of Proverbs, which means, and I know this is probably pretty obvious, but it means that we have studied 29 chapters of God's call to pursue wisdom rooted in the fear of the Lord. And while this call is specifically to the son of Solomon to pursue wisdom, we are let in on that call and called ourselves because God inspired the writing and protected the preservation of these words for us today. This means that God has intended for people outside of the nation of Israel to hear his word, to hear his call, and has intended that the fool hear the call as well. We've seen an interplay between the wise one and the fool and many times the call to wisdom is there for the fool to be convicted, to be confronted, to be rebuked, and then to turn back to wisdom. 
So how is the fool to turn to wisdom when she is confronted with the reality of her foolishness in light of God's call? This passage today helps us answer the beginning of that question. How do we, how do you and I, when confronted in our folly, how do we turn back to God? In short, our passage today will show us that we are to pray. And the prayer that we are to pray is a prayer of repentance. So today we are going to look at Augur's words that that could be taken as a prayer and see how he speaks of himself, how he speaks of God, and the two requests that he makes. First, Augur gives us a declaration of his humanity. Now, this passage opens after the introduction of Augur in the first part of verse of verse one of chapter 30. This this passage opens with this sentence with two other names, names that we do not know who they are, but we do know that these names are rooted in Hebrew words, much like the name of Augur is. Ithiel and Ukol are rooted in words, and, and other translations will actually translate this verse that instead of um, the man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel, and to Ukol, it says the man declares, I am weary, O God, I am weary and worn out. What is it that has wearied Augur to the point where he cries out to God and declares that he is weary and worn out? We don't have to wonder because he tells us in the very next verse, he says, I am the most ignorant of men. I do not have a man's understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. It's almost as if Augur has come to a place in his life where he says, God, I am just tired of trying to follow my own will. I have neglected learning about you. I I have neglected um, seeking your goodness, your wisdom. And in light of that, I am the most ignorant of men. This word here translated most ignorant, it shows up in other translations as stupid. And it literally means an arrogance that comes from a lack of knowledge. Charles Bukowski once said that the problem with the world is that intelligent people are full of doubts, while the stupid ones are full of confidence. Sometimes a little knowledge gets us into a lot of trouble Because just the barest amount of knowledge oftentimes leads to arrogance. Have you ever found out that the more you know about something, the more you realize you don't know about something, the the more of a sense of humility that you come to that subject with? Many times we think we are professionals or experts on a subject because, you know, well, I read a post on social media or I watched a video on YouTube. But a person who is truly an expert in that area that we think that we are an expert in, you'll notice that they have a humility of knowledge. Because the deeper you dive into a subject, the the deeper you realize as it goes and that you could probably never exhaust the depth of knowledge necessary to become a true expert in any subject. But when we have the barest of knowledge, whether it's the barest of knowledge of God or the barest knowledge of our jobs or or whatever it is, when we have the barest of knowledge, we have a tendency to be arrogant about what we know. 
And when Augur declares that I am the most ignorant or I am stupid, this is not a declaration of low self-esteem. This is an honest declaration of who he is in light of the fact that he has not learned wisdom. I will stand before you today and avow that I will never be a Kentucky Derby winning jockey. (laughs) That is not rooted in low self-esteem. It's rooted in the fact that I'm six foot four. I weigh over 200 pounds and I would likely cause great harm and damage to a horse sprinting for that length of time. When we know something is true about us and we declare it, it is another sign of humility. It's a sign of the fact that we understand who we are in light of God. And Augur says, Lord, God, I am weary because I have not taken the time to understand who you are and what you teach. The author here declares that he has realized that as he stands before God, he doesn't know all that he needs to know because he hasn't pursued wisdom, understanding and knowledge of the Holy One. And this humility in declaring the truth about himself also leads him to declare the truth about God. And he declares the truth about God in the context of God's holiness. And we think of holiness oftentimes only in terms of righteousness. And while that is wrapped up in the idea of God's holiness, holiness really means at its root to be set apart. We are called saints by Paul multiple times in the New Testament. And saints literally means set apart ones, holy ones. Jesus has taken us. He has cleansed our hearts. He has taken of our hearts of stone, given us living, blood-pumping hearts that are tuned to God, and He has taken us out of our place of sinfulness, and He has set us apart as holy. But when holy is applied to God, it reminds us that God is completely different and completely set apart from creation. He is the Creator. He is the Sovereign. He is the Glorious One. We are merely His creatures. And he gives us this picture of God's holiness in light of these rhetorical questions about creation. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Who has gathered up the winds in the hollow of his hands? Who has wrapped up the waters in his cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? We kind of get Job, God's questioning of Job here in summary form. Instead of chapters 38 through 41 of the book of Job, we get these four verses that talk about who has who has done the things of creation. When he talks about wrapping up the waters, he's talking about the separation of the waters and the boundaries that the waters were given in the creation. Who has established the ends of the earth? Who has made the dry land for the plants and the animals to dwell on? Who holds back the winds? Who controls the winds as they blow to and fro against across the land? But also, who has gone up to heaven and come down? What is the name of this God and the name of his son? Tell me if you know. It's almost as if the author is saying, I come to a realization that I don't know who God is, and that has led me to a life of folly. Tell me more about this God. 
Tell me about who he will reveal his law to. When we see son in the book of Proverbs, we're reminded that the relationship of wisdom is that wisdom is taught from a father to a son. And when it's the heavenly father who is the one who teaches wisdom, it is the people to whom he gives wisdom who can be called his son. Psalm 74, at the end of Psalm 74, talks about, excuse me, 147, talks about the glory that Israel has because they have been given the law of God as no other nation has been given. And yet what happened to Israel? They turned their back on the path of wisdom. They they wholeheartedly embraced folly. And so we need another son, a true son, who can ascend it can descend from heaven so that he can ascend back up, who will bring the wisdom of God because he is the wisdom of God. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was fully God and fully human. He descended and took on flesh and has ascended again to the right hand of God. And through him, we can have salvation. Through him, we can have wisdom. And so Augur comes to this realization of who he is. He is ignorant He is foolish because he stands in the presence of a holy God. He declares that God is God, that Augur is human, and that wisdom comes from humbly accepting that reality. The author declares the reality of his humanity, and he declares the reality of God's holiness and his divinity. And in light of this prayer, this prayer of declaration, he makes two requests of God. First request is found in verse seven. Two things I ask of you, do not refuse me before I die. First, keep falsehood and lies from me. As part of his declaration of who God is, he says every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Augur here is asking that God keep him from adding words to God's words. Is God's revelation of himself trustworthy? Is his word trustworthy? And if so, why? Well, yes, it is trustworthy. And it's trustworthy because he is trustworthy. We can we can know that his words are truth because he is truth. We can know that his revelation is just as relevant for us today as it was 20 or 3000 years ago, because God is the same yesterday, today and forever. His words do not change because he does not change. His words are true because he is true And his words are true and secure and flawless because God is true, secure and flawless. And so the author here prays for the strength to be kept from the temptation to add to God's words. Now, how do we add to God's words? I think there's two main ways that we add to God's words. One is that we take things that are categories of Christian liberty and we make them gospel truths. We talked a little bit in Sunday school today about some of the feasts. And the question was asked, can we still celebrate the feasts? And we came to the conclusion that, yes, as long as it's for an educational purpose or to understand better the the scriptures, but 
at the point of which you decide that you have to celebrate the feast in order to be truly saved by God, you have added to the words of God. How many times do we take things that are rooted in Christian liberty and we say that if you if you violate this aspect of Christian liberty, you your salvation is in danger. How many times have we said that you have to have certain practices within the church or you may not truly be saved? We can add to God's word by adding more to the gospel than is necessary and then is revealed in the scriptures. But we can also add to God's word by taking away from it in a sense or adding a contemporary spin to this law. I know I've been tempted to do this, but how many times have you been tempted to say, well, I know that's what God said in the Bible, but we live in a different world, so it doesn't apply to me anymore. We can add to God's law and make it false by adding our own worldly interpretation to what God has said. If we use a contemporary mindset to call something good that God has declared to be evil or to call something evil that God has declared to be good, we are lying about the reality of the world by adding to God's words. And so the author here asks for the protection to not interpret God's law wrongly, adding to it in such a way that he becomes a liar about what God has said. And then the second thing he asks for is contentment. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Notice we, as an aside here, we actually have two, at least two petitions of the Lord's Prayer represented for us here in today's passage. Lead me not into temptation, which we've talked a little bit about in relationship to God's word and dealing with it rightly. And give me this day my daily bread. Why would he want only his daily bread, only enough to kind of keep him in that realm between poverty and between riches? Once again, he tells us why. Oftentimes we ask questions of what the authors write in the scriptures. Well, why would they say that? When if we just read a verse or two on, we would see exactly why they said that because they tell us. But he says here, otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Our scripture reading earlier from Deuteronomy focused on this. God gives Israelite this land flowing with milk and honey. The the cows are so full of milk and there's not enough people there to milk them that, that the milk is just dripping from their udders and flowing like rivers. The honey is so bountiful in this land that they won't even have to build bee boxes and, and, and do uh, have apiaries and things like that. They just walk up to a tree and, and hold their hands out and the honey just drips into their tree. The honey flows like a river through the promised land. And what's the temptation when we have more than what we need? It's to think that we're something. To think that look what I have done. And so the author here says, don't give me too much. Otherwise, I'll deny you. I'll turn my back on you and say, who is this God who you think gave you all this stuff? I did this. Or he says, don't make me too poor 
or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Notice that the temptation is the same here for both poverty and wealth. The temptation is to take the Lord's name in vain by both the poor and the wealthy. The the, the wealthy turn their back and take God's name in vain by saying, look at what I did. And the poor take God's name in vain by violating other of the commandments to try and feed themselves. Don't give me too much. Keep me content. Keep me in the place that Paul would say later on in the book of Philippians that he had found himself to be. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 10. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Yeah, that's right. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who strengthens me. Paul's statement there is, I'm glad that you have provided for me, that you have donated to my need and to my want. And and, and I'm glad that God has used you in that way, but please don't worry about me. Because Jesus is so much to me that whether he decides to give me a whole lot or a whole little, I'm content. My future, my hope rests in Jesus, not in the things of this earth. And so that if God decides to give me a lot of stuff or God decides to give me a little bit of stuff, I am so consumed by the reality of what Jesus has done that the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Brothers and sisters, you and I get so consumed with the things of this world that we lose the contentment that comes to the deep knowledge of what Jesus has done for us. Don't fall into the trap of falsely applying or interpreting God's word or being tempted to tarnish his name in the pursuit of wealth. So let's put all this together. What does the fool do? What do you do if you come to the point in this study of Proverbs where you realize Man, I I am walking the path of folly and I need to do something. The short answer is to approach God with a prayer of repentance. Begin by admitting who God is. Begin by admitting that he knows everything. He created everything. And so he knows infinitely more than you ever can or will or do. And that in light of that, that he has the knowledge that you desperately desire, the knowledge to walk in wisdom. Declare that he is righteous. Declare that he is holy. Declare that he is the sovereign God and creator of all things. And that you are not. See, that's where sin gets rooted in. It's where I think I'm in charge of my life, that I know what's best for me. Get angry at God because he just needs to get on with my plan. Everything would go so much more smoothly if God would just get on with my plan. And that's where we see the arrogance of a little bit of knowledge. He has infinite knowledge. We have infinitesimal knowledge. That's like the opposite of infinite. And yet we think we've got it all together. 
So when you find yourself confronted with the reality that you are in folly rather than in wisdom, declare and worship God for who he is and declare where you fall short. I don't pursue your wisdom, Lord. I don't pursue your law. I add things to your law, whether through legalism or through trying to take away from your law and then prove myself to be false. And then ask him to help you keep to the path of wisdom marked by his truth. You know, you may not pursue wealth. You may not pursue the economic wealth that is focused on here oftentimes in the book of Proverbs. But where do you seek to be wealthy in areas that God has said no? Relationships. Non-wealth rooted prestige. Acceptance by people. Ask God to give you contentment in whatever it is that you pursue. So that you don't have too much of it to where you deny him. And you don't have too little of it to where you abandon him to pursue it. When you find yourself in the path of folly, repent and turn to God. He is a God who hears. He is a God who answers. And he is a God who delights to set his people back on the path of wisdom. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for these words. We thank you that you have compiled them through human authors. We thank you that you have preserved them for these many years. And we thank you that they are still spirit-filled and spirit-empowered to change us, to change our lives. Lord, when you do convict us of the reality that oftentimes we choose folly rather than wisdom, lead us to repentance. Lead us to see the truth of our sinfulness. Lead us to see the truth of your holiness and give us the spirit-empowered desire to turn to you, to seek contentment, to seek rest, to seek trust in you above all things of this earth. And remind us that when we rest fully in you, that the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of the beauty of the work and the life of our Savior. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you leave this sanctuary, as you leave this place of worship, take this blessing upon you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We join with the saints saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.